that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interfucking rough. Welcome back to the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia Hill. I'm Pat O'Brien, and we are back with our continuing coverage of the Machina 2 EPs. We are now talking about EP2, CR-02. Now we're moving on to EP2, CR-02. We're going to kick it off, Lord have mercy, with some soul power. Alan, what are your thoughts of this 1971 James Brown hit? You know, and I say this with with a smile and and a song in my heart, uh, but out of a lot of the big 90s bands uh, that have progressed on to to have a continued legacy, the Pumpkins are not a band that I would have been like, oh yeah, a James Brown cover makes the most sense. (laughs) Because they tend to be like one of the whitest bands ever. uh, and, I, and I mean that in terms of Billy being an Anglophile and the huge influence of, of British rock and stuff like that. Um, now, this song specifically, fucking great. I love this song. Uh, it's just, it's, in, until more recently, the idea of like a dancey pumpkin song wouldn't really entered anyone's sort of like, you know, think, you know, you're thinking about the band and you're like, oh yeah, they have a dance number. But, to do a James Brown song and not make it danceable is, you know, insane. It would be a so, sin. Yeah, exactly. So I, I do feel like the general vibe and groove of this song and also the way that they're able to layer in, uh, like, these these really metallic guitar riffs on top of that groove, um, especially in there's those, those instrumental passages um, mixed in between the song before Billy's vocals come back in like he'll sing it's a little call and response between him and the guitar but it's like staggered yeah um all that stuff makes this a really great cover because it you if if nobody told you that it was a James Brown song you'd kind of be like you know this is this is the band moving forward and doing something different but I I can't think about the title without thinking about Tom Morello and uh, one of his most famous guitars, I think it's in a museum in New York now, actually has the title of the song mm-hmm. written across it. So it's it's just a, an interesting thing. But I do, I do think, to talk about why this song was chosen, aside from it being a banger or whatever, is for the simple fact that Billy is this... I kind of think it speaks to his, his outlook on spirituality and the relationship between spirituality and art and how uh, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm, There's got to be some, you got to have something driving it. So the at the time, I, I, I did sort of like like scratch my head and go like, wait, they're covering James Brown? But now with everything that's happened in the last 20 something years, it makes so much sense because the spirit of rock and roll is all about a revolt against normalcy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can't have that without the black artists that generated that. Um, in the first place and so for them to do this song especially with what was going on with them and the tumult surrounding the band um, and things that were going on behind the scenes especially with the record label it does feel like almost uh, another form of protest song even though it's somewhat divorced from the original protests that were going around going on around the period that the song was probably written Mm -hmm. almost like a protest about um music and where it's going and i mean i certainly um whenever i think about now i've sort of adopted of like a a definition of soul when it comes to music as like a very broad thing but one that just kind of points to like whatever that thing is that aliveness that that like hooks you I think it defies genre. It, it, it defies all all instrumentation and like any surface level stuff. Like, I think you could point to like 
what I like about Billy's voice is that it's got soul and what James Brown has got soul like so I think it's like it makes sense why they're they're um, going here I will say I didn't listen to this song that much because I was kind of like oh, cover okay it's cool it's fun whatever but not right now but it's so rewarding when you do listen yeah. to it because holy shit you get by the end of it it, you, it contains a lot of really unique like Billy performance stuff, vocal stuff. Like you get like maybe one of the most guttural screams at part. the end that mm. that Billy's ever recorded. Like it, it's it's and it's really funky. Like it's you know it's, it's um, got that groove. Yeah. It's totally got a great groove, and I'm really I don't know. It just got me thinking about like how excited I get when Billy does something new vocally, whether it's hard, whether it's soft. And I feel like he started to do it a little bit on Seer again. Like I feel like he there was a period of like. I don't know, settling into like something that worked and not, like I'm excited about what he like the juice he still has in his tank in terms of like trying new things with his voice because it's such a crazy weird voice and it can do so much and it's so specific. But um, yeah, this is like if you listen to this whole song, you're hearing some stuff that you don't really hear a lot from Billy's voice. Yeah, I, I particularly, I, I think it's James doing those backup vocals too, where he's like screaming as well. That's oh, power. is it? I love yeah. that call and response. I love that. Yeah, so yeah. Power. I love that part. So you know what this song reminds me of? Uh, I mean, yes, it's a cover, and of course, it's a. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, you know what it reminds me of? The song they're covering. But particularly the sound of Girls Against Boys, yeah, it's got oh, yeah. that groove and it, the sound of it too, and the way that it layers, yeah, and even that call and response of like, yeah, how like Eli Janey would do like the kind of yelling background vocals, yeah, it really reminded me of that. And this is the one that I was thinking of that really reminded the opening riff reminds me so much of placebo, like um, <laughs> English Summer Rain or oh, like right. something, yeah, yeah. something, many, many placebo songs. But just the sound of the guitar at the very beginning, yeah. it was very placebo to me. I'm in the basement, baby. Drop on I was confused by this when it came out. I was like, huh? Um, yeah. And it kind of, I thought it was cheesy a little bit, but then I didn't really listen to it. And I think yeah. it was the past year. Like I said, uh, in the last episode that we recorded about Machina 2, I was listening to this all last year when I was like working from home. And I was just kind of, because it was the album I'm like least familiar with. And when it gets to Soul Power and I'm like in a groove of working and all yeah. of a sudden it just like... And when it hits that end of the song, I'm like, God damn, this is yeah, good. <laughs> it's really, yeah, yeah. And if you skipped it a lot, you know, yeah, throughout the years, a, like it really takes you by surprise. Pleasant surprise, yeah. No, and, and I think that it's interesting that it ties together so much of the of, of the lineage of, of rock music by by doing this cover specifically that the, the, the screamy part at the end is... It, it I mean it was something you know the uh, the square parents of the time anything that approached yelling or screaming in the music that was something that James Brown was doing yeah. since, the, since the 50s and I think about you know and this is obviously going to come up on, on this podcast but going back to another disciple of James Brown if you think about going back to Purple Rain the ending mm -hmm. of the beautiful ones yes. you know
or even Darling Nikki, there is this sort of tradition of taking something funky, something danceable, um, and then just injecting that sort of raw emotion mm -hmm. that we more so, you know, kind of feel like is connected to things like punk or, or metal mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think, yeah, it's it's a really powerful song, and it's one of those songs that, again, just like Saturnine, like, we need to hear this live. Like, this needs to come back in some form. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would love that. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Soul power. Yeah, it's, yeah. I got that yeah. soul power. Yeah. All right. Our next song is, you know it, you love it, Cash Car Star. Star. So this is the alternate version of this song, um, or I guess it's known as version one, aka version I, aka alternate or alternate take, and it has alternate lyrics, which we will uh, discuss a little bit about. Uh, but Alan, what is your take on this version of Cash Car Star? First, I'd like to say thank you for that uh, sort of 80s game show host intro <laughs> to the song. Right oh, yeah, of I of guess a, that's kind of what yeah. it's. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize. It's that, also but yeah. a little Cash nod to uh, star. pigs in space. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> pigs in space. I mean, these are all quality references, yeah. so dun, we, dun, we can dun, get down with it. It's, part, it's baked <laughs> into the DNA of this podcast. For sure. Okay, so my thoughts on this. Um, this was one of the first songs that I, I heard. Um, I don't remember if it was this version or the other version, but I remember them uh, playing it uh, when they opened for Kiss yeah. on Halloween. And and being and it, since it was still so firmly rooted in the Adore era, just remembering this being like, oh, well, they're still writing these big rock songs and being really like stoked on that, even though like I, I don't want it to come across like, oh, he's one of those fans who just wants them to rock all the time it's not that it's just sort of like when they do it they do it so well that like how can you not want more of it but um but this this song is so cool like and my favorite song from machina 2 is dross i think yeah. that's mm -hmm. one of their best songs and a lot of the playing around with the Digitech whammy pedal, which is the ones that gets those like the pitch shifting high screams and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, that you know, uh, a lot of people during the during this period were using them. Tom Morello, uh, Head, and Monkey from Corn. Like everybody was using. I think Steve Vai was the one who kind of hit people onto this pedal in a lot of respects. So the fact that especially James was the one doing this in the live shows. Um, it adds such a sci-fi ambience as it cuts through the mix. To have that coupled with Billy singing lines like, my baby's got three eyes. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know? that's what makes this version different from the other one, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it takes on this sort of, again, how we were talking about Saturnine had this sort of like nerdy Dungeons and Dragons, like uh, geek chic to it. This goes in the sort of related yet opposite direction that it almost takes on sort of like a sci-fi horror kind of vibe yeah. in terms of the lyrics. But then the three eyes thing, like, are, are we talking about a, a metaphorical, metaphysical third eye? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and what's what's going on with that? So my overall impression of this song is that it's something that could have easily, with the proper mix and everything, could have easily been sandwiched into Machina 1 very easily. And it's understandable why it didn't end up on a door because it's just sort of the polar opposite of everything that was that record and would have kind of been like kind of critics at the time would have been like okay this is them trying to say like hey we can still make this type of music right um damned if and, you do damned if you don't yeah exactly um which was always their relationship especially with rolling stone it's like we love putting <laughs> you on the cover we love making money off of you but we're going to give you shitty record reviews yeah um 
But to make a long story short, I do feel like this is one of the standout tracks from the whole entire Machina 2 collection, either version, but I do feel like this version really sounds crisp and it really just does a good job of showcasing everybody in the band and not just specific members. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's got a slightly di- different drum part too. Uh, it kind of kind of rolls through with the drums and the other one has like kind of more pronounced uh, moments there. And the vocal processing sounds a little different too, which gives it more of that sci-fi feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, yeah, again, I love, we talked about this last episode, but I love that groove of the chorus. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, the guitar's going crazy. I-, I could see how that could get grading to some people, but I'm like, yes, give me yeah, more. Yeah, it's a fine line they write <laughs> on a lot of these tracks of grading and like just kind of like really awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. But I, listening to it now and li- looking at the lyrics, having just talked about them covering um, a James Brown song. I feel like I could see James Brown doing this song. Yeah, the James li- Brown covering this. Yeah, yeah totally. Like the lyri- lyrically, like just that you gotta understand. You gotta understand. It's just the fact that you must attack. Like that's a very I could James totally Brown-y, yeah. see, and you know, even everybody's business is everybody's business. Like it's this. I don't know. This this kind of is like you know. Yeah. Just I, throw. You gotta just throw a hit me in yeah. there, and then yeah, we're, we're good. yeah. <laughs> Totally, I know. Billy's like, well, it also feels like, and I hope this was the case, like you you guys were saying, like showcasing all the band members, this feels like the band collectively, all the members saying, fuck it, and, and like, let's not leave anything on the table here, or like, let's not leave any stone unturned here in terms of like ways we want to play our instruments, sounds we want to achieve, like types of songs we want to make. Like, it really feels like the there's like a there's a feeling of the band saying we have nothing left to lose, so let's go for it musically. It's like the end of Silverfuck where he says, All right, "This take, don't give a fuck." This is that take, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it does, and it also. Whereas, I, I think from Melancholy on, even though a lot of this, you know, especially from uh, the six 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 stuff, like we uh, we see the band like jamming in a room and putting the songs together and everything as as bands should, but. Um, Especially with Adore and parts of Melancholy, it did feel like it was sort of uh, more orchestrated in a way that it was mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to record this part, then we're going to record that part, then we're going to layer this, layer that. This take definitely feels like this might just be them live mm-hmm. doing it and then coming back and, and you know, at, uh, sweetening it up, it, you know? Yeah. yeah, I think that was the case for this track, for both of the tracks. Yeah, yeah. 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 I. I love how it after that crazy that first crazy solo that it cools off and it does like kind of call back to that that mm-hmm. first but then it's like ominously building back yeah to like totally just to be a crazy ending and I love the background harmonizing vocals at the end mm-hmm. uh, it's just so cool I, I really love this song. Yeah. Well, and then also, too, there's a part in there where Jimmy does something that is very um, reminiscent of the build in Geek USA. Oh, yeah. The the drum build. Yeah. And, and and I feel like this is one of those songs. Uh, and the reason why I probably made it, uh, you know, uh, it was on the it was on Rotten Apples, wasn't it? Yeah. No, I, th- I think so. Or was, was it, or Judas, it, it Judas? I think it was on Judas. So let me let me. Um, I can't remember check. off the top of my head. That's something. But else. like I was saying, the reason why it might have gotten the attention that it did in different points from the band is that um, from that drum part to also there's a, a chord progression where it's like da na 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 like that yeah. that whole part. Um, to me, that's that's the most pumpkinsy chord progression. Um, out of all of this material. And so like, and again, I, I've mentioned this before, but you guys did say with the machine of one episodes that this is sort of like, Hey, you know, you want to know what the pumpkins are about. This is everything they've done kind of in, in this delicious goulash. Yeah. And, and, and so I do feel like this is like, it, it even harkens to right now where, where fans are con- constantly hounding them about like, well, when are we getting our next Siamese dream? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 the proof is in the pudding because I remember around Zeitgeist uh, them talking about we we were in wherever it was in Arizona and we were jamming and we we're like this sounds too much like things we've done before and and Billy always saying this is the thing like we could we could crank out music that sounds like we quote unquote used to 
but I think this is this is the proof that like if they wanted to, they can sound like whatever people think the pumpkins sound like. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you did that that when you sang that riff, it almost reminded me of Kansas's uh carry on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I did it more in that key now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, but but no, I mean that's Billy was big into Kansas and Boston yeah. and stuff like that. So that even that was slick, yeah. Yeah, that reference would make total sense, you know, Wayward Son and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on this track? Crank it loud. Yeah, crank it loud and crank it proud. Mm-hmm. Okay, not to date the recording of this episode, but it is Friday the 13th, which leads us to Lucky 13. I didn't realize it was Friday the 13th. That's why all those anvils have been falling on my head That's all right. day. Nice uh, Jason Voorhees uh, breath there, Alan. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, like, no, my Instagram feed has been nothing but Jason today. Oh, yeah. I think tonight uh, I'm going to watch uh, part six or part four. Yeah. You know what I've been really craving? And it's one of the worst ones. I've been wanting to watch Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is such a fun. Oh, I, I say fun watch, but it's it's not a great one. But it is. There are parts of They're it that are fun. They're all fun. He's like I, yeah. barely in Manhattan. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just long yeah. enough to take it, though. <laughs> and that film franchise is one of, I mean, a lot of the slasher franchises. There are so many installments that, like, there were movies that you, you, you skipped. Like, I skipped H2O in the theater for Halloween. I still haven't seen Jason X, and I, yeah, I like I've seen parts of it, and I really want to watch it just because I love I'm a huge fan of like the Alien franchise. So anything that's horror in space, Event Horizon, one of the best horror movies ever. Um, like I, I need Force? to sit down and watch that. Huh? Life Force. Oh, it's Toby Hooper, of yeah. course. <laughs> uh, you, you got like a psych. I mean, it almost sounds like a, a pumpkins like song premise because you've got like a psychic vampire who's a beautiful new right. woman going around you know yeah so <laughs> checks out <laughs> that fits right in the pumpkins uh, ethos uh but yeah lucky 13 so it says here that the mix prepared for the machina reissue is said to be a vast improvement featuring live guitars and drums from the machina sessions and vocals and bass from the july 2000 sessions uh the master version can be heard on judas O. alan thoughts on lucky 13 this is one of those songs where if I could get past uh, the kind of Adam Ant, uh, new wavy guitar lead that I just wasn't into at the time, <laughs> yeah. and then get into the meat of the song. And it always happens. It happened to me the other day getting ready for this. I was listening to it, and I was like, and I and I had flashbacks of the uh, DVD menu screen for The Greatest yes, Hits. That, you know? that's what, yeah, that's immediately what comes to my mind when I hear this song. And, and and so I was like, this goddamn song. And then all of a sudden, it gets to the super heavy parts. And I'm like, okay, this is why this ended up being one of those songs that are like, hey, we also did another record after the last record that Virgin released. It is a really great song. But I uh, the, the riff itself that starts out the song, especially with the pitched up version of it, it can be a little grating to me and a little too twee yeah. and a little mm-hmm. too cutesy. But the rest of the song is exactly what I want. And I feel like it's akin to something like the Machina One version of Heavy Metal Machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I even said like the lyrics have this kind of darkness of an XYU or Tales or Bodies. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. it says like, there's one part that says, I'll claim my prize. I don't exist. I am divine, a ghost with eyes. Well, that, the way he performs that yeah. vocally, it's, uh, this This really made me think of like the musical thing because it's, I'm not super well versed in musical theater, but I don't know. So it why sounds try, like, Pat? What are you doing? Well, let's say Le, <laughs> Le Miz or something. Okay. It, like the way he sings, he's like, 
I'll claim my prize. Uh, you know, yeah, it's like it's, it's very, like, uh, like kind of uh, esque too. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like a self-aware kind of musical, like a morose, like yeah, yeah sadness, like an opera, the Phantom of the Opera yeah. type of thing. Yeah, he's like putting on a performance within the performance. And that's when you did it right now, Pat. I pictured the scene in Phantom where he shows up to the ball in that, uh, you know, costume dressed up as death mm-hmm. in all red. Like, which right, is, uh, right. which is a, an evocative image, whether we're talking about the uh, original silent film version or whatever, uh, or the um, or the actual Andrew Lloyd Webber versions. But like, um, it is, it is. And I think that sort of, we think of bands today like Ghost or something like that having oh, that man. type of yeah. uh, outward sort of appearance. But if you think about Billy's stage persona and his his costuming, mm-hmm. uh, especially from Machine On, because that's when he really embraces the sort of Darth Corrigan kind of mm-hmm. persona <laughs> of like these Sith-esque leather outfits and everything else like that, um, that bled into coming back during Zeitgeist, which was sort of like He's he's atoned for things and he's back on the light side of the force or whatever, um, like and even even until uh, like the guitar hero outfit with the spider on the chest, um, and there there is something and maybe that even goes back to the Nosferatu German expressionism esque look of Eva Dor, mm-hmm. but like but like it does that grandiosity which often the band is lambasted for as being bloated or whatever mm-hmm. else. Um, that is what makes the band because they're yeah, very much aware totally. of their influences and what they're trying to do. Yeah. And so I think that is a key moment. Um, and Bowie does pop up aside from just Mike Mark, uh, Mike Garson. Bowie does pop up a lot in this record, and I think sure. that is definitely one of those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I feel like just to your point about the the the, the stuff that pe- the um, the costuming and the the shit that people rag on that might rag on them for. If you have a problem with that, like, you are the one that's kind of, like, the joke is on you a little bit, I think. Because it's not like Billy is not aware that um, that he's wearing capes. Or, or you know, like, it's... It, <laughs> yeah, like, right. You know like, I mean? oh, shit, I didn't know. Whoops, I, oh, I left whoops, this old thing on? I guess on. I look ridiculous. Like, well, yeah, thanks for yeah. for pointing that he, out. Like, he's, he's leaning into it, and and it's for a reason, and yeah. you could like it or not like it, but to think that it's somehow, like, his cluelessness that is making him dress that way is wrong, I think. Yeah, it's so calculated. Not calculated, but it is, like, something by doing this podcast that we've learned. We're like, oh, we get it now, especially with the past year where Billy's talking about, like, how each album the band takes on these characters or yeah. he t- took on this character and how it's like it is more theatrical it yeah. is more like yeah. of a, a concept the pumpkins are a concept band yeah and how every album is a new concept or a theme yeah and it's like oh okay that makes more sense and it lends itself to um timelessness too when you start talking about yeah. stuff 20 years in the future it's like you know, Talking about director's movie or something. Yeah, yeah, it was divorced from the time at the time, and that helps it, like with having longevity. Yeah. Sorry, Alan, what were you gonna say? Well, no, I, 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 all of that is on point and in line with what I was gonna basically say is that you, you have a guy who grew up on bands like Kiss, who are mm-hmm. obviously at the forefront. It's about the image, but then you also have people who were very eccentric who did whatever they wanted because they could rick wakeman the keyboard player from yes was famous for wearing capes on stage Mm -hmm. and who loves yes billy you know so it's it makes total sense and i i think whether it's the ringmaster outfit more recently on the shiny no so bright tour or whatever I, i i do think it is about bringing some of that grandiosity back into the performance of rock Mm -hmm. because then again where did this band come from when they first started playing it was all about hey you person in the crowd i'm dressed like you you could come up here and do this too you know and then and then as the band you know by 95 they hit the glam period the silver lame pants come out a la iggy pop Mm -hmm. and uh and and there's there's a change because all of a sudden it's embracing rock stardom and it's embracing what people 
you know, and also poking fun at what people think a rock star should right, be. Right, right. And so much of this record specifically and the the official release is is so much about those expectations and and I think also there's some sort of especially when we talked about vanity it kind of hit me a couple minutes later after we talked about it there is some sort of David Foster Wallace-esque like ponderings about um, imposter syndrome yeah you know mm-hmm. and, and so and so I, I think we all love the Siamese dream and Gish era vintage shirts but he couldn't be that guy into his 40s and 50s, you right, know, because right. then it just becomes it, it becomes a, a parody. It becomes a costume. Right. You know? Right. So, so to embrace to embrace all of this uh, means like, hey, I know I'm a, a, a corny kid from the Chicago suburbs. Mm-hmm. Why not own it? You know? Right. And yeah, I guess and we've talked about this, too, how it's like if you are a kid who's a fan of this um, band growing up and you are not from a coastal big city like i you are blissfully unaware that they are anything but the coolest thing but like then i i've over the years begun to like really relate to this band as fruit bats eric put it the midwest mysticism of the whole thing the sort of like earnest just love of like a fucking great show like not being too concerned with what is hip or like not being too I mean, certainly there's irony baked into a lot of pumpkin stuff, but not being an over like not like irony is not driving the ship by any means. No. And I I think the the flip of that coin, the other side of it in terms of that Midwestern mysticism would be Trent Reznor being a kid from Cleveland. You know, right. Like he, you know, there's that same sort of like uh, Protestant work ethic uh, earnestness mm-hmm. to what he does, yeah. ex- except it comes from a seriousness. Even though he himself doesn't take everything that the band has ever done super seriously, it when you go see Nine Inch Nails, you know, a it's an experience, and b it feels like it's coming from a really authentic place. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, I've yeah. probably seen them the most of any band, and every show is a special show. Yeah, it's really great. Um. Well, I, I demand that Billy, uh, with their next shows, I think he needs to do costume changes for the different eras and just dress in the way that he did during those eras, like a Madonna style. That's mm-hmm. that's all I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, Cher. Yeah, <laughs> um, I really dress in Cher's different eras. There you go. Uh, that would really be a mm-hmm. statement. Bob Mackey, you know? When I think of Cher, especially during the 80s, uh, like the... Turn back I don't know, time. Like, if I could turn back time video. Yeah, well, not not so much that. Uh, you know, we don't really need uh, the chat. I don't really need. Yeah, I don't need to know if Billy has an ass tattoo, which he doesn't. But like, <laughs> uh, but I was thinking more of like the big, almost Masters of the Universe looking Bob Mackie outfit she would wear to like oh, the Oscars yeah. and stuff. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that was and, awesome. That was like late seventies, like, early eighties, share kind of. Yeah. So when the the He Man movie came out, and uh, I think. Yeah, like no, the when Skeletor becomes a golden god or whatever, yeah. which is such a, a rock cliche. The universe is power. You unstoppable power, and I am that force. I am that power. Kneel before your master. I turned to my mom as a little kid. I was like, that reminds me of Cher. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, no, and I think I think that sort of camp over the topness that we associate with that kind of pop and pop culture this band has always been like no let's not shy away from that let's yeah let's let's do it i remember uh, i think on the episode with dc you guys talked about the the 1979 dancers at the grammys or the american <laughs> music awards yeah. or whatever and and i think that is sort of like and and my favorite part of that because i had it on vhs i taped it off a tv i'd watch it over and over but my favorite part of that is when they cut to the audience and you see alice in chains Mm -hmm. and they're like looking like what the fuck like what are they doing (laughs) you know but that's and they're you know i think billy and jerry cantrell are are buddy buddy now but like uh but like at the time um I just remember laughing so hard at that because they were just so like, this is not what mm. we are about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if they're giving, if they're, if Allison Chains is giving Metallica shit for cutting their hair during their unplugged <laughs> and writing on their, their guitar, friends don't let friends get friends' haircuts. Right. So yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they definitely were not cool with those dancers. No. Yeah. Um, but look at, uh, look at what America loves. We, we love the fucking masked singer, you know? Like, this is going to be, you know, rock yeah. gods are, my, I have a five year old niece. 
um, who just turned six when my wife and I were visit uh, on my wife's side, and we were just visiting, and she had her she she's obsessed with Kiss and Twisted Sister. Those are her oh. two favorite bands. I don't know how awesome. she got into them, but she had a Kiss themed um, sixth birthday party. So, and she's and going that's, to and see that's... Kiss soon. At the essence of Kiss, you know, the reason why they had the comic through Marvel, why they had the dolls, because it, at, at the essence of Kiss, that's what it's all about. It's about capturing the imagination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think during the 90s, when we had a lot of this sort of confessional songwriting that was talking about, Pat brought this up earlier, just sort of like going, you know, wading through the ruins of, of, of a childhood, a mm-hmm. Gen X childhood and everything. I think after a time it gets it gets kind of it gets old for the people making the music yeah. and writing the song. So I think the embracing that's the the, the theatric aspects and thinking about the influences that would would definitely lend themselves to that. Um, going back to where we started in this conversation about it, how it's sort of the deeper baritone esque Bowie stuff going on. Um, it makes it makes perfect sense that you know this this band and especially you know, WPC would uh, embrace it in the way that he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I love this song. It's got a huge sound. Uh, it grew on me for sure because I also had that kind of like, eh, I didn't really love the guitar part, uh, but it grew on me. But I, I'll say the true uh, underrated hero of this song is that little rattlesnake sound. Oh, I don't remember it. There we go. It's like, it does like yeah. that little like... It's oh, like it okay. reminds me of the oh. classic rock thing. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's it, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll drop the clip in there, but man, yeah, it really uh, <laughs> it really reminded me of like an old school Aerosmith, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of uh, song. It's got, it got a loose, cool feeling to it, but yeah, I I, I do like the song. There's the um, some banter at the end about Vietnam. Apparently, <laughs> that's what the 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 transcribed uh, from oh, really? SPFC.org and uh, SP Codex it says. Billy says, yeah, Vietnam. James says, you heading to Vietnam? An unknown voice says, yes, I need to be at the co-op. Unknown. Thanks, dude. Jimmy says, I'm jungle drummed out, man. Oh, I remember. I did yeah. catch that. Yeah, yeah. I missed yeah. the Vietnam stuff, though. That's yeah. just inner, yeah, that's, inner band bits, I guess. It's super quiet in the mix, I'm going to guess, because the thing that always stole, uh, uh, stood out to me was uh, Jimmy saying, I'm I'm over the jungle drums. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like, and understandably so, there's a lot of that going on in the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and here's the thing that non-Pumpkins fans don't get, and I think for kids like us who watched V Euphoria on VHS over and over oh, yeah. again, like um, the sense of humor of the band is sort of, it, you can see it in that moment. It's sort of like, they're just hanging out, having a good time, mm-hmm. you know, like, even though the songs might be, you know, maybe dark or whatever, it doesn't mean the people behind the music are like that all the time. You know, right, and I think true. that's, I think that's really hard for people to understand, especially during the era that this was made. That like, who you are outwardly, and so much of what the Glass storyline is about, who you are outwardly is not necessarily who you are in your private moments. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that has plagued Billy forever, but he's also leaned into it because of that. You know, he's he's like taking an approach of like well if people think i'm this way then i'm gonna fuck with them even more and you know lean into that and and and, but again it's been you know sometimes it's worked and sometimes it's been to its detriment and i think right yeah you uh, gotta stick the landing i guess if you want your desired outcome you know yeah definitely i think to to talk about the song directly for a second my favorite riff and my favorite part is the part where he's like we're all so fucked like that Uh, it's the riff is nice and heavy. It's it's very very juicy, uh, but at the same time, it has the same snarl and malice that, uh, and this is the echo to melancholy that you hear in songs like X Y U and I know to no one. It definitely it, it's coming from that same guttural place that the screaming at the end of uh, of uh, Soul Power mm-hmm. has as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, love that guttural territory. All right, well, that song rips, but uh, this next song kills. Speed kills.
speed kills. But beauty lives forever. I was thinking, so I was saying last episode, how how is it that the pumpkins never wound up on um, one of the Crow soundtracks, you know, just yeah. based on the company that <laughs> w- they the, were on there? But this feels like this could be their The Crow sequel um, song. Yeah, on the second one, uh, for sure. The, this is another version of the uh, Stand Inside Your Love single truncated version. Um, there's also an acoustic demo version, which is very great. If you haven't heard the Machina acoustic demos, definitely check that out. First time that I ever saw you Crashing high through days of pain You So, Alan, your thoughts on Speed Kills. So, for my senior class trip uh, in uh, in 2000, we went to Europe, and uh, my main modus operandi for that trip was like I was gonna, and this, uh, of course, people people who stream music and do all that stuff now will not get this, but the only way that you could really get B sides was getting, uh, you know, the international releases and getting uh, what would be imports. And I thought it, hey, it's gonna be cheaper. So I think I was in London or something, and I went into uh, a Virgin, you know, record store, the mega store and right? I saw, yeah, and I saw that they had this, and I took it with me back to a hostel or wherever we were sa- we were staying, and I listened to it on loop, the "Stand Inside Your Love" single, because obviously that song had meaning to me at the time and still does, but the version that was recorded for that one to me for the longest time was the definitive version. And it's funny like uh, that Pat brought up the crow because I do feel like this the Last Rose of Summer line in that version um, conjures pictures for me in my head of Bruce Wayne at his parents' grave. Oh, yeah. So I, I do get, and obviously there's a Pumpkins Batman connection there, but like, um, but that one is very much more atmospheric and in line with another Machina era song like In My Body. Yes. Whereas this one is more in line with some of the songs we talked about in this episode so far, especially Saturnine, because it is, again, another sort of rock dirge. Um, But it still has that same, no pun intended, level of melancholy Mm -hmm. that the other version has. So I feel like before, if you would have asked me a couple years ago, I'd been like, oh, the the S-I-Y-L single version that's 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 the the penultimate version of the song but actually now the more i think it's more neck and neck now i just i love the lyrics to both versions yeah. uh i love the different approaches but you can understand why with this version it wouldn't have ended up uh you know anywhere else just for the simple fact that it is very similar to the approach to the alternate version of Saturnine, although they're totally different songs when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the arrangement. I agree with you. I always go back and forth of which one I like more. I do like the Stand Inside Your Love uh, version a little bit better because I love how the bass sounds on it. It has just such an airy, cool, and deep sound to it. But I really, really love this full band. Like, I mean, the, the other one's full band too, but there's it feels more like Queen or Zeppelin to me, mm-hmm. this version mm-hmm. of the song. And I really, really love that. And especially when it gets into that second verse and like the, the, the lead parts, you know, how it kind of mm-hmm. does that like classic Rocky, you know, picking on it. It just, mm-hmm. it sounds like their stairway or something. It mm-hmm. sounds so fucking good.
Pat, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, I okay. So um, I really like this version. I, I when I was, for, you know, twenty years ago, listening to this, I I didn't. I don't think I like maybe you too, Frank. I didn't. I didn't think a lot about the glass narrative, or like necessarily how these connected to to you know the greater thematic. Machina experience. But I did always mishear the lyric. We were talking about the lyric, "The Last Rose of Summer." I always thought he was saying. I kind of thought he was saying, "Glass wrote this song." <laughs> Glass and, like, wrote so this song. So I always song. took it at, as fact. It's like, oh yeah, the character Glass. Like I was like simultaneously <laughs> not thinking about the Glass thing that much, but also reading into it where it wasn't there, you know. So it was like, oh yeah, of course. Like you know, Ziggy played guitar. Glass wrote the song. Like to, uh, as if to say, hey, it wasn't me. Glass wrote the song. It like, was on me. Well, yeah, <laughs> sort of a shaggy um, <laughs> connection there. But I also, we talked about um, Machina in relation to Blood Flowers. Just, you yeah. know, mm. this has a, uh, that that um, lyric, The Last Rose of Summer, kind of, there's the song, The Last Day of Summer, which is one of my favorites off of Blood Flowers. Last day of Yeah, there's a more there's a general, you know, sound to this that that reminds me of um, the Bloodflowers album too. I think it's probably because of the string elements as well. There's like a keyboard string, yeah, and a heaviness too. Yeah, like a, that has you know, a cure. it's a heavier Cure album. You know, um, yeah, it's like to me, it was like if you took Zeppelin and combined it with the Cure, and that's what mm-hmm. this song kind of. Yeah, the feels that it gave me, you know. Yeah, is that strings around four twenty two, or is it like synth that sounds like strings? I think it's synth strings. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it could be like a mellotron patch or something Uh like that. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, Um, very melancholy though, for sure. Yeah, I think. My favorite part has always been the bridge, the when when I ride with you tonight. Me part. too. Uh, it because it's it's it takes on more like the rhythm doesn't change too much, but it takes on almost like a gallop. So it does have kind of like that. It has the movement to carry the line with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also I didn't think about this till looking at the lyrics right now. But that part when I ride with you tonight, we can move at the speed of light. Almost telegraphs the title track off of Monuments to an Elegy. Um, like because it the ending lines is you know forever young forever blind into the stars we rock tonight mm-hmm. and that that song is like I feel all right I feel all right tonight and it yeah. has that same sort of it takes that same sort of energy and and runs with it. But also too, I do hear even if it's a. Uh, an indirect sound on top of, you know, a mutual cure fan, you know, uh, as well. It does remind me of like what it would be like if there was sort of more pumpkins, deftones collaborations, Mm -hmm. because it does have kind of that kind of jaunty, which I, on a weird word choice, but that kind of like up and down groove that you associate with Deftones songs. Yeah, especially with the newest album that they have out, Ohms. Like I can oh, see yeah. that. Yeah, that sound with the pumpkins. Like this feels like that would be at home in that for sure. Overall, I mean, it, lyrically, it's one of my favorite songs from this era, either either version and the little differences, but it's yeah. just so, it's it's just a solid song that is that hits the right notes when it comes to the type of heaviness you want from the Pumpkins. But yeah, the, uh, the opening guitar lead is a very Jimmy Page-esque thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you guys have been talking a lot about uh, disintegr- well, that trilogy of records, pornography, disintegration, and uh, and blood flowers, uh, but I do feel like this has some of a song like the figurehead yeah. off of pornography. Mm-hmm. It does have that sort of like slow, but still menacing plot.
that echo chorusy like just dread that was one of the things that really stood out to me about that album pornography was the production on it mm-hmm. especially with the last oh, track so good. the title track is just so like it blew my mind the layers the layers of all the different yeah. uh, voice samples and everything oh my God. i mean it actually has some of you know not like a like the head on the door kind of pop but it has some of their best pop songwriting in terms of um strange day and stuff like that yeah. and i do feel like strange day is a kissing cousin to this time or right. some of the other songs yeah. on on Machina, mm-hmm, so yeah. it, it's it's definitely cut from that cloth of influences, and um, and yeah, I mean, again, if it wasn't for the Pumpkins, I don't know if I would have gotten into the Cure the way I have, and I def- yeah. definitely consider them part of that trinity of like favorite bands that I have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear the cleaner version of this too, like see how oh, it, yeah. like how it turns out. But um, I, I mean, I hope we get to hear this version of it uh, since we already have a cleaned up version of the other one that's on the single. So I kind of would like to hear this particular take <clears throat> on it on the the reissue. Uh, but man, that ending—it's epic. I love it. It does feel like kind of that, that, especially when we ride that pole part. Does feel like a space epic. Yeah, kind of, yeah. You know, I, I absolutely. This is one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all mm-hmm. time. Oh yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like it's somewhere in the climax of the rock musical too. Any final thoughts on speed kills? Uh, yeah, I, I, just to echo what Pat just said, I think it, I would be surprised if this doesn't end up on the end of of one of one of the parts of the remaster, like mm-hmm. one of the ending tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you haven't checked out the Machina acoustic demos, I'm sure you can find them on YouTube or just email us, and we can uh, send them over to anyone who wants them. But uh, those demos are awesome, and there are some tracks on there. Uh, laugh. <laughs> Drain. Can I drain your body of its fever? Turn my cheek while you are weak and starving. We all know who you are. Here I am. Be a lover. Wanna be a friend. But the spell we've surrendered. So just let me pretend you don't exist. Connection. That aren't on any of the Machina stuff that are really great uh, acoustic demos that I'm really looking forward to hearing the like full band versions of mm-hmm. uh, when they do the reissue. Okay, that was our coverage of Machina 2 EP2 CR 2. We will be O2. back. Dash O2. <laughs> the O2 Arena. Um, we will be back very soon with 
our third installment. And until then, we wish you a very brief farewell and good night. night.